Welcome to the Breaking Through with Apollo podcast, hosted by Greg and Thomas Beckers. We're here to give you an inside look on the entertainment industry through the lens of an actor and a manager, and we're here to help you break through in your own career. Hey guys, uh, we're here today with Seth Menachem. Welcome, Seth. Hi, thank you. Thanks for coming on. Um, I'm very interested in talking with you, especially because of your background. I know we talked before a little bit. And uh, you have 20, I think it was 20 years, you said, of uh, acting and writing experience. Yeah, so I moved out to L.A. Uh, 97. I was 23. So maybe not quite 20 years. I was working a little bit in Miami uh, doing some production work. I've been acting, you know, throughout high school and even in college. Um, got a psychology degree from Emory, uh, Emory University in Atlanta. Loved psychology, had always wanted to act and write, um, and had found it so intimidating. I didn't grow up in a world where people did it typically. My father had died when I was a teenager. I thought life is short. I love psychology. I'm going to get a degree in it, and then I'm going to move out to L.A., I decided, and go sort of play in this world and see what happens. So I moved out here and jumped into the world. Didn't know anyone. Started to, uh, you know, luckily work. Uh, had the ups and downs of everyone of, of working in this business. It typically always loved writing as well and started to write and eventually sold some shows and created shows of uh, um, that, that had sold and, and some series and then some uh, wrote columns for papers and just really always found creative outlets that I loved uh, to do. But there was a point when I, I'd sold a show. I was working at uh, stars at a network I had a series there. I had a writer's room. It was sort of everything I wanted, right? Like the ideal yeah. thing. I created a series with a friend and we were starring in it and we were going to shoot it. It was like, couldn't be happier. And one, even then, I remember loving psychology and thinking, I wonder in my life if I could ever have a private practice, like a true thought. Like, I wonder like in life, if you could ever do more than one thing, or did I sort of choose this thing and that's it? The other is while working on this series, there was a point when some executives came in, I remember, and they were like, measuring and taking a look at some of the offices. And I thought we are not getting picked up, which is what <laughs> a new president took over and they got rid of it. Um, I decided I would go back to school. I really wanted to, I'd been scared to make that leap. Like it felt like you tell yourself, you made this decision. I'm an actor. I'm a writer. This is what I did. I guess, I guess this is my choice, right? Like this is my life. Um, yeah. And there's such a fear of confronting that, of saying like, no, I actually can try something else. I can, I'm not limited to this, but you really tell yourself these sort of limiting things. And I, and I wanted to push against that. And so I jumped back into school. I had no, I, I didn't even care about, uh, you know, where I went to school. When they asked me why I chose the school I went to, it was proximity. It was closest to my house. I was able to get yeah. there. It was accredited. Uh, and I knew I would learn. Um, I loved it. I love school. I was surprised at sort of how well I did in school and, and how much I loved it. I, I, I was busy. I had two kids in diapers and yet I was having, you know, a great time. I was studying all night. I had papers done before most of the other students in class because you're coming at it from such a different place in your life. And during school, I remember getting some offers. I think I might've done one show. I went and shot something. I don't remember what it was maybe a modern family episode or something. And I got some offers to do like some uh, indie movies and I just turned it down. I just stopped saying yes to things. I stopped auditioning. I never wanted to miss a class. And suddenly it just became less and less important to me. And so I ended up in this world of psychology and my intention was to always have a private practice. I really wanted one. I worked in the addiction field for uh, years. I trained in the addiction world. Uh, I'm not sober, but I know the world well and worked with a lot of clients in that world and ran groups. And then I worked in a dual diagnosis facility, working with clients who had addiction issues as well as schizophrenia, borderline, a lot of psychosis. It was very interesting work. Um, and I was also starting to build a private practice at the same time. And eventually I took on private practice full time and have not looked back. The growth I made in the last few years was to continue a private practice, but to open up a group. I wanted to run a group. 
I love the idea of discussing cases and training other therapists to teach them how to be good therapists. And so I started this group and I now have a team of therapists who work under me. I have one career coach who uh, fills in the gaps. Oh, that's and cool. Network. And yeah, it was someone who one of the therapists had recommended her. It was not a world that I you know, know well. And I spoke with her and I thought it was really interesting in terms of just having that piece in the in the practice and it ended up being something that people really liked. And so we mainly do traditional therapy. There's some hypnosis, there's a career coach, and the rest is tends to be psychodynamic therapy. So that is the long and short of it. Yeah, that's cool. I, I saw it on your uh, on your blog because I checked out some of your articles on the blog as well. And I saw like also that you mentioned something about a life coach as well, kind of life mm-hmm. coach and how that's beneficial. And uh, no, I, I, it's funny when I, st- I started therapy, I guess, four, five years ago at this point. Uh-huh. Um, and I mean, for me, it's been the best thing that I've ever done. Uh, I, I, I legitimately can say that my life wouldn't be where it is now without therapy, um, especially the path that I was on at the time. Um, and I remember when I went into therapy the first time, I, I was very, very reluctant to go into therapy. I think maybe like a lot of people are when, when sometimes when they start, uh, because, you know, you think you, you feel like you got to fix it yourself and take care of it yourself. And, 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 you know, depending how you were raised, and I was very raised like, oh, if you're going to therapy, there must be something really wrong with you. Because I remember my parents were very in the beginning, not super like, oh, yeah, cool. Go to therapy. It's like, they're like, what's wrong with you? What's going on? You know what I mean? And it's like nothing. I'm just, I just feel like I really need it. But right that, now it's an interesting irony, right? You decide to go to therapy because you think it's important. And then we spend the rest of the time in therapy resistant to it. Yeah. I mean, that's what it, I was super resistant. I, I, I walked into, I remember my, my first therapist, I'm, I'm doing a different modality now, but my first therapist who was amazing. I was with her for three years, but when I walked in there, I, she also did some performance coaching on the side. Um, and I went in there, I, I don't even know if I was like kind of trying to avoid or what I was trying to do at the time, but I saw performance coaching. So I was like, I'm going to go ask about performance coaching. I couldn't even be like go in there and say it's going to be about therapy. I was like, I'm here for performance coaching because that sounded more cool and more acceptable. And like, yeah, if I just figure out how to make my life more successful, I'll be feeling better. You know what I mean? So I walked in there and I think we had like a 15 minute, 20 minute consultation. And, uh, and I told her, I was like, yeah, I think, you know, performance coaching. And I think if I just really figure out my, my purpose and really solidify that, I'll, uh, I'll feel a lot better. And, and so, and she asked me a lot of questions. I started telling her kind of what was going on in my life. And towards the end, she was like, yeah, I recommend that you start with therapy. Right. <laughs> so that's kind of how it started. I was like, Oh, I was like, okay, I, I guess I'll start with therapy. And then, uh, now four or five years later, still doing therapy, but it's, it's now at a point where I enjoy it. And it's something that I almost, I guess at this point, see kind of like, like working out. You know what I mean? Like something that I just continually want to do for my mental health. Uh, I'm definitely not in the same place as five years ago, but you know, things come up always and you're always going through different things. And, and so it's like something I want to keep doing and it's been hugely beneficial. And, and especially, and I want to talk to you about this, especially in the entertainment industry, which is, well, let's be honest, it's pretty famous for men- mentally being as unhealthy as can be for the most part. Mm. Um, and it's, and it's an industry where a lot of people struggle with it, you know, which makes sense. There's a lot of uncertainty. Um, there's a lot of things that you're judged on that are kind of shallow things, but that are, you're being judged on for your career. I'd love to talk to you a little bit about that, especially with you having all that experience working it so long yourself, kind of, I guess, I guess I'd like to start with what was your experience in the beginning when you kind of started out? And did you notice anything or, or maybe when did you start to notice was your mental health being affected at any time? Got it. Okay. Well, one, I, I want to address something you had said, uh, um, which was how you've been going to therapy for five years, not necessarily in crisis. And I think that's really important because people imagine like your parents did that you show up to therapy only in crisis. And the way yeah. you view it now is no, I go to therapy and I view it the way I, I, I view going to the gym. It's really important to stay on top of my mental health to uh, and to continue to grow. That, that's what we want to do is, is generally is to get better, to grow, to to help shine a light on our shadow self and our blind spots. 
So I, yeah. I, I think that was a really sort of important statement you made and, and a piece that gets lost a lot in therapy. In terms of acting, um, well, so therapy, I, I had understood psychology because I had already gone to a therapist as a kid. It wasn't like new to me. It wasn't foreign. Yeah. It wasn't, um, there was probably some taboo around it, but um, I, I had seen therapists, and I had a therapist who was really uh, helpful to me during a time when I really needed needed it uh, in adolescence at around 13. Um, and so I, I, I had always viewed psychology as something that I would end up doing. Um, although I had put it aside for so long and uh, could have very easily never been a therapist, right? Could have, I don't know, booked a show or continued to work or, and decided that I was fine with this lifestyle. Though what happened to me is I, I, I stopped really enjoying the work. I mean, one, the ups and downs of it are hard, but even when I was working, I, I, I wasn't really loving the work I was doing. Um, I also wasn't loving the, 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 the lack of control. So I enjoy working, right? If someone said, hey, you want to go play on a show for the week? Yeah, sure, that'd be fun, right, to go shoot something. But the lack of control in my career is, is for lack of better phrasing, crazy making. You know, generally, yeah. we work hard at something and, and, and we're good at it, and our expectation is that we will then succeed. And thankfully, in this career, by the way, I, I work hard at it. I care so much about the work, and I'm thankful that I'm successful because of it. But it's all worked out logically that way. And in, in Yeah, a, entertainment industry is not logical at all like that. It's, it's <laughs> out of your control, right? That there's yeah. so many elements to it that are beyond your control. And that, that's really difficult, um, which, as you said, you know, can breed mental health issues and can also um, attract people with mental health issues. You know, both are true. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think are, I think that's definitely true. Yeah. Right, that that people are attract people who are struggling with different issues are attracted to a field that's so chaotic, and people who are, you know, relatively healthy, um, all of us are a, a, a little flawed, um, end up in a field that really can sort of bring up all that stuff and make things worse. Yeah, so, I, I I I think that's completely true. I mean, I I think. What's interesting is that, that like you're saying, it does attract, I feel like if you have issue, like certain issues, the entertainment industry will like 10X that. It'll magnify whatever's there really hard. And, and, and I've, I've noticed that a lot also with clients and everything. You just, you just notice, you notice it a lot. It's, it's a tough industry in that way. And I think one of the main reasons, like you're saying, is it's probably one of the industries with the least amount of control in your own career. Yeah. Which is really difficult. I mean, it's 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 beautiful in some aspects, and 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 I love the the creativity in it. I love talking about writing and crafting scripts, and and what actors do when they create a character, and 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 the psychological work they do in delving into a character. But on the other hand, you are very limited in terms of what you can control, and so you have to really find other ways to nurture that part of yourself. And you also get people who. You know, a lot of us show up in this world. I mean, it's not odd that I'm the third of four kids and ended up choosing to be an actor, right? I, I, I probably was not getting the amount of attention that I could <laughs> growing up. And, and so I'm seeking it out in other ways, right? It's like the kid was like, mommy, look at me, watch me do this. And you don't get that enough. And so you become an actor. You're like, world, look at me. See me do this thing. Um, <laughs> And it's not always going to get fulfilled either, right? You you still have the, the the parent who's not seeing you, and that's really really tough. So that so that trauma kind of just repeats, you know? Yeah, like or cycle, or you get it, but you get it in in fits and starts. You get spurts of it. Yeah. It, it, it. You get it, and that's taken away. You really have to work on your own ego strength. So it's so important for actors to be in therapy. I mean, I, I think therapy can be so important for most people. Um, but especially in a world where you really have to have such a strong sense of self. So yeah. the work I do, you ask me about with actors, I, I don't entirely work with actors. I, I have a, a fairly diverse practice, um, which I love. Uh, I do addiction work because that's always been sort of a part of what I do. I have probably a third of my clients that, that are Orthodox and Hasidic Jews that know I understand the world and I'm a Jew, but I'm not religious and they're not going to run into me like in synagogue. Um, yeah. but, but they can come and, and feel safe here. I have, uh, you know, clients who are parents, clients who are 
dealing with real crisis stuff and clients who are not, who are, who are just want to get to know themselves better and always have appreciate having that, that space once a week to be able to process things and start to understand themselves better. And, and, and a lot of them are in entertainment, some in, in, in more crisis than others. I have plenty of entertainment clients who are extremely successful um, and, and fairly healthy, like have been doing the work for a long time. And then I have clients who show up, they'll come to me because of a crisis or a management team will reach out to me or because of a crisis going on because the client has, you know, mental health issues that were never dealt with. And um, often those clients are, are, there's a lot at stake. They're, they're doing well. They're not, they're not, uh, they have a team and they have a big movie and they have, and so, so I'll work with clients like that uh, to help them, you know, start doing the work and to get some grounding and, um, it's wonderful to see the actors who have managed, you have, you have clients who struggle so much with the ups and downs of the business. And then you have clients who are doing so well, which has its own problems and seeing yeah. the clients who've been able to manage that so well. Like I've actually learned a lot watching clients deal with celebrity and success in, in, in wonderful ways, the way that they've approached it in ways that helps them really keep their feet on the ground and manage a, a, a problem that is not typical for most of us. Well, I'd love to actually ask a question in that area right there, just to, just um, out of curiosity. Yeah. What is like, I don't know, what are some ways they kind of keep their feet on the ground? Because I would imagine that is that is probably very hard because you start getting treated on the pedestal type of thing. And in, in a way, you're still getting dehumanized just in a quote unquote positive way that many people think is positive. Um, but could, can you talk a little bit about that? And kind of like, I guess, what are some yeah. like, ground ways to ground yourself? Here's a, a good example I can think of. I had a client, still have a client I've seen for years, was who was who came into an office. I used to have an office in Robertson before I was in uh, Valley Village. I had moved over the pandemic, and I went to get him for our session. And when I open the door, I see some people. <laughs> who are obviously fans of his speaking oh, wow. to him about his work and, and so on. Right. And he came in the office and I apologized. I felt, you know, oh, I'm so sorry. Right. They're waiting for another therapist or ever it was. And they, and he's sitting in the therapist's office, which I imagine is the last thing you want to do is people start asking you about your work and everything. And he was like, Oh no, no, it's totally fine. I said, well, it must be uncomfortable. You, you're, you're sitting in your therapist's office. You, you didn't ask for this or expect it. And his feeling is like, Whenever people come over to me, I, one, don't carry even the idea of what I do around with me. Does not walk through the world thinking I am an actor and I'm known and I'm... So anytime someone does it, it's like, oh, thanks so much for... Right? There's just like an appreciative thing. He never enters any room with that first, which I think is really wonderful. And the other, for him and other clients like him who've been able to manage it well, they've created really grounded worlds. They have a, a good sense of their internal self. They have uh, a wonderful sort of healthy responsibility to uh, the teams they work with. Um, and they are appreciative of, of what they have and, and are able to balance it well enough where it doesn't affect their uh, uh, ego, where they start to believe they are better than because of, or or that their ego is dependent upon even when, when they don't get work, right? This idea that you don't get something, it's very hard to not internalize that. You talk about actors, you know, going into a room and, and, and auditioning and you work so hard at this thing. And as we said, right, it's totally out of your control. How do you not internalize that? I went in the yeah. room, I did the work, I gave this audition and I didn't get it. Like, oh God, they hate me. Yeah, I mean, it's even 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 what you said there about about like, seeing yourself like i'm an actor it's like just that is already not the easiest thing because i can tell you just from experience just so many people i've met in, the, in this world that that is a huge part of their identity if sometimes for some people it's their whole identity right you know they're an actor and that's it mm -hmm. so yeah of course then if, if that's your identity and especially how up and down that can go then wow your identity is in crisis so many times every time you go down that's right that if your identity is solely tied to something of which you have no control and other people uh, determine 
whether you are uh, okay or not okay, right? Whether you're a winner or a loser, how can you? How can that be sustainable? Yeah, that's very true. And, and I noticed uh, you have a blog post about that. So, I, and I'd love for you to talk a little bit about it. About I think it's uh, identity exploration is something that you do in therapy. I mean, obviously, it's kind of what we're talking about now. But I'd love for you to kind of expand and say, like, kind of for the basics, what that exactly is and what that process looks like. Well, I, I think we grow up in homes where we are raised a certain way with a certain value system uh, that's imparted to us and certain modeling that we see, whether it was intended or not. And we take that with us and we forget at some point to do the work to separate out what is now our value system and what is the value system which came from my family of origin. What are things that are important to me and what are things that are important to my family and friends? How do I see myself? How do I hope that others see me? Right? And how am I really seen? And that's part of the identity work, really making sense of sort of who we are and what our wants are and how much all of that aligns. It's interesting in the identity work, you know, another, another segment of my population I work with that I didn't mention is our, our cancer patients. Oh, and okay. well. so I, I have a lot of experience working with people who, who have cancer. Um, I happen to be working with a client right now who is, was not, he did not come to me as a cancer patient. We worked together for years. Uh, we terminated therapy. I hear from him. Uh, I mean, uh, terminated therapy because it was time and he was doing great. Yeah. And he took a break and I thought it was wonderful. And two years later, reached out to me to let me know that he is dying. And he wants to get back into therapy to help him do the work to help him die. And wow. that is the work I'm doing now. Now, how interesting to say... I'm working with someone on who he is and what the meaning and purpose of life is. And he has months left to live. Well, and yeah, that's, we still need to make sense of life, you know, even in death. And, and it's done a lot for me in terms of thinking about, you know, mortality is always something we think about or yeah. we avoid thinking about, but it's the inevitable, right? It's, it's, and here, is someone who's saying it's around the corner, right? It's happening and it's happening fairly quickly, whether it's a few months or a year at most. And so I need to make sense of what life is now in a different way than we did when we first met. And you could argue that that a client might need to delude themselves in order to feel safe in in uh, the inevitable death or that what ends up happening is it really distills down what's so important in life and I get to experience and be honored that he even chooses to work with me to sit and distill what are the most important aspects of life and it and it boils down to the same thing you asked me about actors who are able to stay grounded even when they're so successful or any clients I have who are successful in various industries, right? What do we do with that sort of managing of ego? And it all comes down to the sort of, it all comes down to meeting authentic experiences with people we love and who love us back. And it doesn't matter whether you are dying in a week or we live for another 80 years. I think it's, it's probably one of the most important things we discover in life. And sadly, what ends up happening with the patients who have cancer is they, as shitty as it is, they get to experience something that most of us don't, which is to be confronted with that. And if done well, and if they're doing the work, they really get to shift a perspective that for them, my patients who've gone through cancer and are now um, in remission or doing okay, have such a beautiful different perspective on 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 their lives. It's interesting when we. I, I, I'm 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 going to pause because I don't want to sort of get into cases, but yeah. it really it really helps distill down what's important in life. And so yeah, 
that's part of the identity work, I think, is is figuring out sort of who you are, and you don't always get to do it until we're confronted with something like death. Yeah, I mean, I, I, that's sometimes the sad thing. I feel like is is that, like you said, like a lot of us, we we spend a lot of time trying to avoid thinking about that, or we put it very far off, like oh, sixty years from now or fifty years from now, so it feel it doesn't feel real. But yeah, I, I think I think I I've recently had a, not not obviously not a similar exactly similar experience because but I had a funeral about a month and a half ago. I went mm. to from someone that died from cancer, um, and like obviously it was incredibly sad and and you know there was a lot of mourning. But someone there, someone that was really close to him, said something really interesting, which was that this is the most beautiful thing they've been like been a part of and also the most sad thing that they've been a part of. And, and you wouldn't, you wouldn't think that beautiful would necessarily enter something like that, which was because it of what it was, you know, but it actually was that it, it was actually in a way there were beautiful moments because you saw everyone coming together and then, and everyone really celebrating while they were mourning the person's life and how it affected them. I heard so many beautiful stories and just genuine appreciation for the person. And just also saw a lot of people that had known each other for a long time, just connecting and having real moments and, and, and talking about these type of things. And that was really beautiful. And at the same time, it was one of the most sad things that I've been obviously a part of. Well, that that juxtaposition is necessary that that sadness is what allowed you to see what's so beautiful and what was so beautiful in that was authenticity and connection and yeah. and, and and that goes to so much in life right which is like mm-hmm. my clients who struggle with addiction right they they say the antidote to addiction is is connection yeah They've even done those studies, right, with rats where even given rats who are addicted to cocaine, when given the option to have this sort of fun rat park with their friends and, and rides, you know, little swings, et cetera, they choose that. They'd rather be with friends. They'd rather they'd rather have connection to others. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's we, we need that. It's so true. And it's and it's it's incredibly easy to forget that. And, and it's easy to look to other factors as like, oh, this is why I'm unhappy, or I'm feeling unha- I need this, I need this. And for some people that can be materialistic things, can be career things. And I, I know when five years ago when I started therapy, I was in a very, I was very depressed at the time. Um, and one of the things that was really missing at the time in my life was a sense of connection to a lot of people. I, I was very lonely at the time as well. Um, so obviously when you're in that state, it's incredibly hard to get out because one of the solutions is connection by the time you don't have any connection. So it's like really, and, and, but then because you're depressed, your, your level of energy and motivation to even go out there and do the things necessary to start feeling better is incredibly hard. I think, I think I remember for me, that was the hardest thing. It's like, I knew what to do at the time, thanks to my therapist, obviously, and, and what we talked about, but actually doing it took a while. It was, it it, it was incredibly hard. It's easy for us to say, it's easy yeah. for therapists to say, here's what you should go do. Not that we're yeah. often so prescriptive, but I would say eating well, exercise, right, uh, yeah. are, are, are important. And so we could argue that those at least are important to, to, to um, make sure that you're doing. And, and the other is connection to others to say, like, find some way to behave counterintuitively, no matter how depressed you feel, and get up and, and engage in the world. It's easy to say, but to do it when you feel like that, it's tough. Yeah, I, I think I think that's the hardest part, and, I, and that's I also think that something that I've I guess learned through and still not perfect at obviously, and still sometimes forget, is to just do the things that help my mental health, regardless of how I'm feeling. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, and and I'm sometimes some days I'm much better at that than other days, but. I do believe the more you start getting that habit of doing that, it becomes easier. Like it feels much easier now. And it's almost becoming this reaction where like, okay, like a lot of times I'll, I, I get anxiety sometimes too. So when I feel anxiety or that type of feeling, I'm like, oh, okay, I'm not taking care of myself. Like now I start, I think like that and I never used to think like that. So now I think like that, I'm like, okay, this is my body telling me like, hey, this is the check engine light. See what's awesome. going on. It's great. 
you're you're paying attention to feelings. Yeah, and that, that was incredibly hard, and, and and especially look, especially in a very performance oriented culture that a lot of Western society is. It's 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 incredibly hard, and I was raised just that same way. I was a tennis player first mm. for twenty years. I was going professional and and basically training twenty thirty hours a week, and just like you were talking about identity exploration later on in life when I didn't have tennis anymore and I was kind of retired, basically, I was like, damn, who am I? Like, I, I, I have no idea who I am. My whole life was tennis. Everything that I valued was associated with tennis. And then, yeah, it was a big crisis at the time because I had no other identity besides that. That's right, that, that you, were, you were confronted with it at that age. And people do get confronted with that at, at different ages, sort of depending. Uh, end of a career. Um, yeah. I did some identity work with a client who really was confronted with what his raison d'etre, you know, is his, his reason yeah. for being in the world was, was, uh, um, an entrepreneur and he had succeeded many times over. He and his children and grandchildren would not have to work again. Now what, yeah. what do you do? You're, you're not even 50. Lucky so, that, in one no. way, lucky that he got there that early, That's I right. guess, you know That's what right. I mean? In the sense, because I feel like sometimes people strive their whole life and they don't get to whatever magical end goal that they have in their mind. And then they get to the end of their life and they, they just kind of live it that way. So I, in a sense, I guess he's lucky that he got there quickly and was confronted with that. Yeah, but no matter what you have to, you have to explore who you are. Yeah. Whether you are financially successful or not, whether we all want to meet our goals. Mm -hmm. So yes, yeah. I'm talking about a particular unique problem where someone has met their goals many times and now what? Yeah. Though, which is not easy, right? It's, um, but even when you haven't, what, what else is there now? I'm now I'm perpetually frustrated by this thing I keep trying to do. And why aren't I succeeding at it? What does that mean? And who am I? And left with the same work that we need to do, which is, how to be okay with who we are, how to make sense of the world we live in, how to find meaning and purpose in it. Yeah, that's true. And, and, I, I, and I think just that type of work, sometimes people kind of put that in the background or like, I'll work on that when I get X or when that's I right. get to a certain place, then I'll start putting my, like my, I guess, mental health first. And it's like, but I think, at least for me, in my experience, everything flows from that. I think, I think that's kind of what I've learned now is for me, even work-wise and goals that I have, like they're not as important as they were back then, but it's not like I don't work hard still. And, but now they're coming from a place from this is the priority. And I feel like as long as I'm feeling mentally and physically good and I'm working on doing that, everything else becomes a lot easier for me at that point. Whereas on the flip side, it all feels very strained if I'm not doing that. So, so you find that it is important to always sort of keep this in your life in order to be able to work at your best. So yeah, you day to, in a sustainable to, way. Yeah, you structured your week, I guess, that where you're always uh, exercising a few times a week, and that therapy is a part of it, and that and 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 that you see that how much this sort of core stuff needs to be done in order to be able to function well. Yeah, because like even now, like I don't I don't get as many burnouts and stuff like that that I used to get. Like back then, I used to burn out a lot. I would I would push really hard. I'd get through this intense period, and on the surface, it would all look good. You know what I mean? And and then eventually, all of a sudden, there's this weird burnout period, and I just couldn't function for a couple of weeks where I was basically doing nothing. And the ironic thing is, I feel the way I work now is not as I never work as fast as intense as I did back then. But I'm way more sustainable, so it feels like I'm actually moving more towards my goals now than I was then because there's not these dramatic drops. But you're absolutely right. You are 100% correct, and what you're speaking to is so indicative of a of a, a, a unhealthy message that that is like, you know, shot out all over social media, right? Yeah, that especially the hustling, that, hus that hustling thing. That hustle like, mentality. Oh, or you walk wake to your up, therapist. Wake up, wake up at 3 a.m., <laughs> Right. You know, yeah, I mean, social media, that's a whole different thing. We could talk about that for a while, but I, I think I think it's incredibly unhealthy, the messages that get sent there. And, and it's like it's kids that are getting all these messages uh, right. and, and yeah, it gets glorified, it, hustling and kind of like 
to your own detriment physically and mentally does get glorified. It does. It's one of those, oh, look what he did. He pushed through. That's right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I think people also imagine that there's sort of one way to be successful and one way to be in the world. I think there are certain narratives that are so endemic and we believe them and they're not necessarily true for all or most of us. How many couples come to my office or people come to my office struggling in relationships where their relationship does not look like what they imagine a relationship should be? Yeah. And rather than let's do the work to understand who we are and what we want and find a way that both of us can sort of live happily, they've been working for so long to try to have the relationship look like what they think a relationship should be based on everything I've seen and read in movies and TV shows and what my friends tell me. So yeah, that's 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 very that's very true. I mean, I, like I I can relate to that a lot. I, me and my fiance have done couples therapy in the past. Um, hugely beneficial. I've I mean, has helped our relationship a lot uh, when we were in our own crisis mode at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that. Like even just couples therapy. I think I feel like couples therapy. I think therapy nowadays is is definitely at a place, at least in LA where it's a little bit more like, oh, okay, it's a good thing. It's normal. It's way more accepted than it's ever mm-hmm. been. Um, it's, it's getting talked about a lot more by so many people at this point, which is a good thing. That's awesome. You know what right. I mean? And then, but in couples therapy is kind of behind. It's still, in my opinion, at least when, when, at least from people I've talked to a lot of times and how people talk about it, because it always feels like, oh God, you guys must be like close to divorce or something if you're doing couples therapy. That's right. Well, it speaks to what we talked about with therapy initially, right? Your father or parents thinking on it as well, which is you do not show up there until there's a crisis. Yeah. When there's a crisis, when there's a mental health breakdown, then then you show up to therapy. You don't show up to couples therapy unless you guys are on the brink of divorce, which people do without a doubt, right? A lot of people show For up sure. yeah. during their worst crisis rather than looking at couples therapy as a place to be able to learn how to communicate with each other. And couples therapy can be absolutely amazing when couples do this early on. It's, excuse me. It's wonderful. Like I, I love when couples learn that they can uh, speak to each other in ways they never imagined that they have safe spaces to even feel things, feel anger, that that's okay, that we can accept those parts of ourselves. And that there's ways to manage that with each other. And, 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 and for the people in couples therapy, the, the, the couple in couples therapy to learn about their own history and their own uh, family of origin and how they learn to communicate and what those needs are. And it doesn't have to match your partners. There's so much great work that can be done in it. Well, and out of my own curiosity and also just because it's a question or something that gets talked about sometimes with people I know yeah. is is there ever a time that's too early to go to couples therapy? And what's the earliest, I guess, that you've seen people go to couples therapy? Um, well, uh, I've never seen it too early. I've seen it too late. Yeah. Um, and people come to couples therapy when it's too late. People come to couples therapy to get divorced. People don't, you know, the average person, right? The layman does not realize, lay person, excuse me, yeah. does not realize um, how many people show up in couples therapy to help get divorced. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. I, I didn't even, I didn't know that. Yeah. Right. Like, oh, no, nah, I'm not going to couples therapy. I heard they went and got divorced, this person, right? Well, yeah, people yeah, you hear that. Therapy, even if they don't realize it, they're going to get divorced or one, one of the, uh, um, partners in the couple wants to get divorced and doesn't know how to do it. And they use couples therapy as a way to sort of do that. That's, that's an aspect of it without a doubt too early. I've never seen, (laughs) (laughs) I've never said to anyone, so this is too early for you. How could it ever be too early to learn how to communicate with another person? I've interestingly done couples therapy with couples who are not romantic. I, I've done it with, with uh, business partners. I've done it with writing partners. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, I could actually see that being very beneficial for writing partners, yeah. definitely. <laughs> so I'll work with writing partners and business partners who are having similar struggles. I mean, it's you are two different individuals working together closely. There's a lot to be learned about communication. It could be extremely helpful to, to do the work. That is cool. I, that's something you definitely wouldn't think about that, like, oh, business partners that have done uh, couples therapy together. But it makes sense because really what you're 
learning is how to understand each other more and 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 communicate better which you know it's it's really hard and i know for me like like when we did couples therapy there were just some things i just didn't didn't even understand how she wasn't getting that or how That's she right. wasn't understanding Why don't how you I was thinking. Like I do. Yeah, exactly. It was exactly <laughs> like that. It's like, oh yeah. But then with the couples therapy, who was really good, and and you really learn like kind of where they're coming from, but also where their ideas were coming from, and just mm-hmm. hearing from like, oh, where in their past, like they kind of got that message, or where they learned that, or whatever happened in their past. All of a sudden, I felt like way more understanding. I was like, oh, okay, well now that makes complete sense you know what i mean then yeah so i think for us that's 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 what it did the most part like that we just were able to communicate much better but also that we actually got to know each other at a way deeper level there were things that we just didn't get to just in our own life just because those questions weren't being asked or you don't need Um, to ask them or how to ask them right no it's something you it's something you didn't even think about you know what i mean and and then just and even just having a therapist there to kind of give you the structure of how to communicate so that you're not starting to get like into a place where you're just kind of like trying to talk over each other or louder that even just that was super helpful because the thing that i've noticed the most is just how many times you don't actually hear each other like like because they ask you so in mine they used to ask me to repeat kind of what i heard her say and yep. then she'd have to repeat what i say type of thing and even something that seems simple is not simple, like because we did it, and a lot of times you would be like, "Oh wait, what did you say about that again?" And and you would have to repeat each other because you don't you don't actually hear everything. I, I was going to say this is a great example, which is you're speaking right, and I could be thinking about what I have to say next. And and oh, yeah. and and when you were sort of teeing this up before you hit record, I said, "You know what? Just 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 hit record. Like I'm okay having a conversation. I can sit presently in the conversation." And if I mess up or my thoughts go somewhere, I'll say to you, hey, I missed that. I, I, I went somewhere else for a moment. I'm okay doing that. But learning to be present is amazing. I do group therapy. It's the, the, the other uh, uh, part of my practice is, is group therapy. And now I only uh, have one group, which is Monday nights that I've been running for years. And interestingly started as an entertainment only group. It was one of the oh, that's that's interesting. I'd, I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah. Okay. So, so um, it's no longer solely entertainment. There's people in the group in who are in the entertainment business, but when it first began, it was just for entertainment. I had had this idea because I had never seen it, which was I'm going to run a group. I did it short term. I think I did a 12 week group or something. I, I it's been a very long time when I first did this, um, and it was producers and writers and directors and actors, and we would have group therapy every week, and it was great because they had a, a support system of people in the business. But really, it was the process group stuff that was so crucial to who they are. And so as the group, so the 12 weeks were up, the group loved it and wanted to continue going. And I've been running this group for years. And so, I mean, since I was first an associate before I was even licensed. So the group now has shifted where different people have come in and out. It's a closed process group, meaning I don't just let people join or come for a week and leave. So the people who join are in it uh, long term. Uh, and then if someone leaves, we'll bring someone else in. And it is some of my favorite work is group therapy work. I've done it in in rehabs and I've done it in different facilities. And I used to run groups just for gamblers. And this is an open process group of of a diverse group of people who get to really learn about the group becomes this microcosm of of what the their outer world looks like. Right. And it comes into the room and you get to do this work in the moment. You get to watch people grow and mature. It's not always easy Um, and get to express themselves in ways you never would be able to on the outside, which is even talking about the here and now stuff. For example, oh, it's interesting when you said that I noticed my head went here or I felt a little resistant to it because I always have a history with and so on. Yeah. Right? That people suddenly have this language that, that most people don't have and have the ability to express it in ways that you wouldn't be able to in the outside world. And they get to practice new ways of being and see what that's like and see how the group views them. It's, it's really interesting work. I, I, I love yeah, it. Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's really interesting because I, I, like obviously it's therapy work, but at the same time, you're surrounded with people that are kind of talking about issues that at some level you also relate to and you're meeting your kind of your, like you talked about earlier, your need for connection. Because, you know, if you're just doing therapy and you're still, you know, alone all the time, that's still better than nothing. But it's it's still you're still not having connection in your life. And maybe what I noticed in the beginning of my therapy is that I was basically waiting for my once a week therapy at the time. 
And then some, a lot of these other days, I'm just waiting to get to that so I can do my talking and stuff like that at the time. This was five, six years ago. And I was like, that, that was tough in that way. I was, because now I think about it, I'm like, huh, group therapy, that, that would have actually also been helpful to like kind of do at the same time and you meet other people. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's amazing. And the group only meets in the office. They're not allowed to talk outside of, of the office. They're strongly discouraged. I want them just to have the moments in here, everything. I, I'm remembering something as you were talking about the entertainment group, because I know you're, you're uh, entertainment focused. And yeah. part of what would come up back then was how isolating the work is for people in different sort of areas of the business and how um, out of control they felt in having a career where um, it is not up to them necessarily whether they're going to work or not. And I remember one pointing out to the group that just in the group alone, we had the enough people to sort of shoot something, <laughs> right? To film something. Like we're sitting here with a talented writer, an actor on a show, a director, right? right? That we, we think we're, we're all alone and yet here you go. And I remember telling them at the time, uh, the neighborhood I lived in, I used to live in the Fairfax district before I was um, dragged into the suburbs. And uh, I remember thinking from one end of my block to the other, I have someone in every aspect of film. I have a costumer and a writer and a director and I have actors and I have sound people. And you think like, ah, there's no one who can do, you know? And if you challenge that and you say, wait a second, everyone here is sitting there in their apartments feeling like they want to get hired. <laughs> and here we have just on this block alone, I could have everyone walk out at five o'clock and meet me in the street and we have enough people to go shoot something. It was actually that yeah. kind of thinking that that when I would struggle as an actor, which is what helped me, um, I started to write. I started to shoot my own work with friends. I just started to put things together. And because I, I, I wanted to make a TV show and I went and shot one. It was for nothing. There was no, you know, there was nowhere for it to go. And I won a TV festival because of it. And I ended up selling a TV show because of it. And I did that with another show. And then I sold that to a network. And it was just stuff that I would just go make. And and you forget that you you do have that ability as well. We're not always victims. We feel like it. Yeah, I, th I think I think that's a good point too. Even just that is is I think you can find things that in your career, even in the entertainment industry, that you you feel like you'll have more control or that you have actual control over. Like you were saying, writing. Uh, there's nothing holding you back from writing. That's fully in your control. Right. You know what happens to that script might not be in your control always. But then again. Even there, solution-oriented, if you get to know enough people, maybe you put it together yourself. Now maybe you write and produce it yourself. Like there are solutions if, if you're really open to it. And, and again, it starts with a lot of things that you're talking about, like connection, people. Not like Yeah, it's very hard to do everything by yourself. That, that's a hard life. Yeah. Interesting. I'm going to shift it a little bit here. And this next one, I'm kind of going to let you... Sure. Uh, kind of pick which one sounds like something you want to elaborate on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like a little, like a game show. Which door do I open? <laughs> well, some of these come from your blog because I actually I found your blog very interesting. A lot of the articles I read, hmm. um, and there are a couple of things that I wrote down. And I'm just gonna mention three of them. Um, one that I read was healthy versus unhealthy boundaries. Mm -hmm. Social anxiety versus shyness and then how to improve self-consciousness okay you will i guess we'll start with the first one or, or which whichever one you whichever one you whichever one well, you want to start talk with. about boundaries i guess i mean boundaries okay. are important so uh healthy versus unhealthy boundaries so i talked about modeling uh, which is what we learn in our families of origin, right? And seeing our yep. caregivers and our siblings and the kind of homes we grew up in. And it's where we, it's where, when, when you talk about personality disorders, right? Th those are, those are created. We're not born with personality disorders. People are born with psych disorders and, and you can be uh, bipolar and you can't help that, right? It's chemical. Are you there? It froze. So I'm just not sure if I'm speaking to, are you there, Greg? Oh, you just broke up. Now I got you. You there? Okay. Yep. Your, your face is frozen, so I wasn't sure. Yeah, I froze so, over here for a second, too. Got oh, you okay. now, though. <laughs> so, um, 
personality disorders are something that are are created and they're created uh because you can make the argument that they are necessary that we needed to create them in order to survive in our yep. families of origin unhealthy families of origin with unhealthy boundaries and then we take that personality and we bring it into our adult world and it no longer functions well for us it causes all kinds of issues but we're limited right our our, our toolkit only has this I only have a sword and everyone else's guns and it's all I have because it's all I know. Yeah. And so a personality disorder was created from boundaries that were pushed um, in a family where we did not get to have our own boundaries or express them in ways that anyone either listened to or we were scared to or we often don't have choices when we're children and we are yeah. limited to what we have. And, and we don't so know any better. Yeah. Right. We, we only know what, right. Well, the family we were raised in is all we know. And then as you're, you grow up and you start to see the world can look differently. Um, you, you can adjust or you might be stuck in, in terms of the way you still manage things because you are still triggered by certain things, or you still, in order to feel safe, had to respond a certain way. The problem is that response is not uh, uh, helpful anymore or it's too harsh, right? We respond disproportionately to something because that stimuli typically would have been so dangerous. We respond in a really harsh way and people are like, what's going on? Where did that come from? And, and we end up in all these personality conflicts. And so we have to start to make sense of what's healthy and unhealthy. And group work is actually really great because you get to have other people in a room that you're that that are are triggering you and you work off of and if you have a really uh, if you have a, a great therapist who's really helping to manage it you, you you it's it's really wonderful to see what what can happen um i myself have joined groups i, I it's how i you know also uh, learn to be a better group facilitator yeah i have i have i have a friend in aa as well and even with with that he just the group aspect of it and the connection of it has been huge for him yeah, yeah. because if you can drop some of the defensive stuff, you can start to really take in how people see you and, and adjust if needed, right? Adjust accordingly. Um, boundaries are tough in that if you weren't modeled what a healthy boundary is, how do you know what's healthy, right? You don't, yeah. That's right. And so therapy is really important in terms of helping people even learn healthy and unhealthy boundaries and how to do them and then how to practice it. And so I think it's so crucial to be able to do that therapy work in order to be able to even understand what it is, what kind of boundary you're putting up. Otherwise, it's only defensive and it's only coming from really unhealthy places. I, I don't see another way to do it. I mean, people function in the world. It doesn't mean they're functioning at their best. And if you start to pay attention to some of the interpersonal conflicts you're having, or you start to notice a pattern of things repeating, you know, it's a good tell that maybe there's some work to be done here. Yeah, look, I completely agree. I mean, I like not, I don't want to always talk about my own therapy, but like, <laughs> it's the only Moving example on. I really have. <laughs> but uh, when when I started, I didn't have very many boundaries at all. Um, and then I definitely went through a period of overcorrection, mm -hmm. um, where, it was all, where I almost like, you know, where I basically kind of was like, oh, no, I'm working on myself. And the, like, I definitely had overcorrection where I definitely pushed some people away for a while. Yeah. Um, and 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 then eventually kind of found what what you were mentioning more healthy boundaries and and you know and always always learning you know what i mean always still learning so sometimes you're like oh okay that's unhealthy and sometimes you're overcorrecting but it's you know you're constantly trying to sway towards where the healthy medium is for you you know what that's i mean right. and and i i know that was just learning that was a huge part of um of, of therapy and probably like one of the things that helped a lot because yeah it's pretty, I don't think I even understood what boundaries were back then. That, that's great. And, 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 and you have to accept that you're going to make mistakes in, in, in practicing this new way of being. You yeah. You might piss off some people. people. You might, you might piss off some people initially, especially if there's certain people. And a lot of times with family, this happens. If they're used to you being a certain way and all of a sudden you start changing, it's possible that's going to upset some people in the beginning. It, it, it's probable. That it's gross. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And all of us, therapists included, still have to go to Thanksgiving dinner and confront our own <laughs> stuff as well, right? Yeah. Right? My family true. can be the therapist. What are you, the therapist in the family now? Right? No one likes no one likes to be challenged 
um, and 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 when there are family dynamics that are so set, and someone in the family starts to change, it now has the family have to confront the way they're they're organized, and it can be really difficult for people, especially for if there's someone in the family who 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 is unhealthy or pushing things in unhealthy ways. You're now saying I'm not okay with it. And yeah, it's like it's, a, it's, it's, it's incredibly hard, especially with family. Um, sometimes because sometimes you know some people don't choose to change anything. So then, you know, I've I've gone through both sides. I've gone through where, you know, you don't have many boundaries, but then I've gone through that overcorrection period where maybe I'm pushing things on them a little, where I'm maybe trying to go over their boundaries because I'm trying to quote unquote help them or fix them, but I really I'm kind of not respecting their boundaries at that point anymore because I'm basically telling them what they should do. You know that's what right. I mean? Right. Now so, you're the so, Yeah, now, now and, that, and that's not good. People no. don't like that. <laughs> people do not like that. That's right. So people, people don't love to be challenged. Um, yeah. And also, is it your place, right? I mean, ideally what you do is you you hold up healthy boundaries in terms of you, you model them in showing what you're okay and not okay with. And that's that's where the lesson comes in. And it's not up to you to change them. That That... The hope is that you do this work and because you've done it, everyone around you is going to shift and change and be wonderful and grow. No, you're responsible for you. And that, that's that's the only person that's, you can that's control. The, that's the hard thing with everyone. It's, it's because then sometimes you start seeing things and unhealthy things and, and especially with family, you love them and you want the best for them. And then mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, you, you have different feelings. Sometimes you feel angry. Sometimes you feel sad. And then, you know, some of us like, get into fixer mode. I know I do. I get into fixer mode. Uh, that's kind of my default with a lot of things, even in my relationship sometimes. I get into fixer mode instead of hearing what your emotions are. I'm just like, okay, but how do we fix this so it's okay? You know what I mean? And that's, you know, it's kind of, you're still doing your own work still, even in those times, because you realize it's more about you and you're trying to be the fixer. That's right. I try to remind people when they're having conversations with their partner that that it's okay to ask, like if you if you'd like me to listen right now, or if you'd like me to try to help you solve this. What is it you're looking for when when you're bringing this up? Do you want to vent? Yeah. I'm happy to sit here and allow you to. Would you like some thoughts of mine? Let me know. <laughs> that's still that's yeah that's an, that's an ongoing uh, work for me. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. Yeah. Um, you, you, you at least have a question to ask. Yeah. Love to, and I'd love to ask one more question. Um, and I think one that's pretty relevant to actors and might even be relevant to their performances, actually, which is, a, which is interesting. Uh, but you wrote about how to improve self-consciousness. And I think that's something, well, that pops up for everyone. Uh, but especially in acting, it can pop up a lot because what makes a not, a not great performance is when you are self-conscious. You know what That's I mean? Right. Most great performances are you're not self-conscious. You're in the moment, like you're just there and you can tell as, as a manager, I know I can tell when I watch auditions, when someone's really just acting, acting, or if someone's just there kind of being, you know? So, so what I'd said earlier, which is when you're speaking, I could be thinking of the next thing I want to say, Oh, what's something really profound I could say next and not be paying any attention to what you're saying. Or I can say, I want to be really present in this interview. I'm getting to know you. You, you. you reached out asking if I want to do this. I was like, yeah, it'd be really interesting. And I look forward and I'm curious and I like to have conversations with people. So let me just see what happens, what comes up. And that, that place of being present and curious has always benefit me, benefited me. Mm -hmm. When I'm self-conscious, it's when I'm questioning who I am, how I sound, uh, I make a mistake. Oh my gosh, I, 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 I forgot a word that I wanted to say, or I, I didn't, uh, you know, get my point across in the exact way I wanted, and it's too late now. Right? Rather than being comfortable saying, like, you know what, I, I'm doing the best I can. I'm having a conversation. Maybe, maybe I didn't do a great job at at, at uh, explaining everything that I wanted to that you asked. I did the best I can. I'm okay with that. Um, and using that as a learning experience, but that the most important thing for me when you asked me to do this was that I just wanted to be present and have a real conversation with you about the work. And the rest of it is out of my control, right? Because as soon as I start to think about the way I want to answer this or right, how, how uh, witty I'd like to be, <laughs> my hair look like or something, I'm, I'm somewhere else. I'm not, I'm not in the moment. 
And that that's you know that's a a, a recipe for disaster. Even yeah, an actor that... who doesn't who doesn't uh, nail the scene in the exact way that they imagined it, if that actor was fully present and engaged and authentic, even if that actor doesn't get the role, they will remember that that actor was fully engaged and present and authentic, and they will bring that actor back. I I think that's definitely true, and I and I think one of the main things that I heard when you were saying that while I was doing my own thinking while you were talking <laughs> <laughs> and not being present <laughs> is, uh, is that, uh, the curiosity I, 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 that is, that's a huge one. I do notice like when I'm actually present, I'm just genuinely curious, you know, and it's, and it sounds easier than it is. That's for sure. Um, and, but I think that relates to acting as well. I think when you're really, listening and curious to, to the other person and then you're more reacting off the other person i i do think that's that's a much stronger performance and a more natural performance it, it is so important in life to be curious regardless of what you're doing absolutely yeah. as an actor it's a useful skill but as a human being it's a useful skill as a therapist it's a useful skill i i, I tell my associates and the therapists who work for me the exact same thing which is you're never stuck if you're curious. You, you yeah. don't have to know how to solve everything. We, we don't know how to solve everything. Be curious, oh. get to know this person's life and experience. Just be curious in the moment. How are you feeling and why? Pay attention to your own thoughts and theirs, right? What's my counter-transference here? How am I feeling? I wonder why. Just be curious. You'll, you'll never be bored in life if you're curious. That's true. And it's so, it's so innately human because I, if you look at babies or kids, they're the most curious. They're always curious about everything. And it's yeah. something that's just in us. And I, I forget where I heard this. Um, I think I forget where I read this or heard this, but it was something like the whole point of therapy is to kind of get you back to that childlike state that mm. you used to be in more like where you had that curiosity, that joy, like just those emotions that like before any of these traumas and social conditioning and anything like that enters that comes pretty naturally to humans. Yeah, I'm, I'm giving thought to what you said. Uh, I think it is important to, to get back to a place, especially pre-trauma, et cetera. But I think part of it is also getting back to that place so you can have some corrective emotional experiences in the room with the therapist, which is the opportunity to have someone attuned to your needs the way they probably should have been attuned to. And so some of that regression or going back to those areas or those ruptures in therapy. So really it's like, happen. it's like a, like a reparenting. Is that kind of Absolutely. what you're saying? Absolutely. Just using all these therapy terms. <laughs> God, well, sometimes there. I'm just I, I'm like, oh, shut up, Greg. <laughs> no, why shut up, Greg? <laughs> because I, I, I know I, I love talking about therapy. That's part of the reason that I, I I, but but I love this podcast, especially for that, because it gives me an amazing outlet to kind of nerd out about these things and talk about these things. Because, you know, sometimes when you have some people in your life that are not necessarily as into therapy, you know, sometimes people are like, okay, uh, that's enough, yeah? But, <laughs> but Greg, the people who are coming to your podcast to listen to it are people who do care. And Yeah, and that's, that's, that's why I wanted to do this. That's right. Yeah. You, you, what I was going to say is you're, you're, you're giving a service to others. You, you are, it sounds like you're creatively fulfilling yourself with something you're curious and really love, right? You work with actors, but also you're curious about other aspects of it. And you've created this uh, podcast and this, this, uh, um, is it a website? I don't know how you do it. You do it through Instagram. I really sound like Instagram. Yeah, you yeah, use yeah. The Instagram. <laughs> and so you have this platform. Uh, where you can share it. And it also gives so much to other people. And you've given me the opportunity to be able to talk about something that I love as well. So thank you. Well, thank you for coming on. I mean, honestly, this is probably one of the things that, uh, one of the few things that I've completely do or started doing with no end goal. No, like, I'm awesome. trying to achieve this. Or I'm trying to achieve this. Right. I'm just like, nah, this, this seems interesting to talk about. I enjoyed talking about it. Maybe other people enjoy listening to it. And, uh, and, and that's kind of been the whole motivation behind it. And that's why it's awesome having people like you on uh, to talk about this. And I honestly think like just hearing you, 
helps so many people because it also just gets them, you know, some people that maybe don't know that much about therapy and which there's obviously a, still a large size of the population that doesn't. And it's just getting that information and making it a very normal thing to talk about. And you don't need to be like you, you mentioned in the beginning, you don't need to be in crises mode for any of this to apply. Right. And I think that's something, something really beautiful and something that really, I, I hope people learn from all of this. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for coming on. This has been amazing. I'm glad uh, I could do it. Yeah, I love it. It's kind of when all kinds of different areas that I love because it, we just explored a lot of areas that I wasn't even thinking of before. Um, and I'd like to kind of end it with kind of a fun question. Um, and I always ask this at towards the end. What's one book that you recommend? And it can be anything. It doesn't have to necessarily be in therapy, but it can, it can be fiction too. But if it's therapy, awesome too. Um, and then the other, and then the second part of that question, what's a TV show you're watching now? Okay. Uh, uh, book. I do, I do read a lot. Um, it goes through phases, but, uh, I, I love reading. I, I, I just finished a book and I just finished a show. So, uh, the Which book ones? I just finished is what? Which ones? Well, I, I, I read a lot of uh, Yalom, who I love, Irvin Yalom. Okay. And so he wrote a book, uh, The uh, Schopenhauer Cure, which is uh, um, about group therapy. Oh, interesting. Um, and a show I just watched is also therapy related because I happen to, uh, I mean, I, I love Steve Carell in it. It's called The Patient. Uh, I thought it was really good. I actually thought I've heard this of it somewhat ridiculous premise was really <laughs> grounded in, in, in really good acting work and, 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 and some good therapy work. <laughs> so yeah. I enjoyed it. That's cool. It's cool. There's lately a lot of shows coming out with some kind of therapy. That's not the first one. There was that one with yeah. Will Ferrell too. Um, and then there's another kind of a documentary coming up with uh, Jonah Hill where yeah, he, uh, right. where he interviews his uh, therapist. Uh, uh, Phil Stutz. Yes, his exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm excited to see that as well. Yeah, me too. And at the end, uh, I'll get those links from you for that, for that book that you mentioned, so I can link it up in the show notes Sure. Uh, in sure. case people want to check it out. And yeah. is there anywhere, anything, uh, anywhere they can check you out, uh, any website that they can check you out or anything that, uh, you recommend them going to? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I have an Instagram called the life of a therapist where I just, you know, usually film, I, 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 I film myself talking about different therapy stuff and, you know, make fun of my children on it. I have That's a awesome. monocular <laughs> uh, Instagram as well as a website where you can see, uh, uh, read about me and my bio and see my other, you know, my therapist. But uh, I, 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 I will often pick topics or let people ask me questions each week, anything they want, and I'll answer those questions. And uh, um, it's just an opportunity to be able to discuss therapy in, in a more public way. That's awesome. I'm going to link that up in the show notes so they can check awesome. that out and, and, uh, and see what you're doing. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Please subscribe to our podcast and stay updated on new episodes every week. Check out our show notes for our contact info and social media and hit us up with any questions you may have. <laughs>